Before I get started, there's a few things I want to say. First of all, this jacket that I'm wearing, I wear in the prison every day. I've been wearing it for 10 years. My wife has been trying to hold it together with all these patches. But I wear this because I uh, load it up with all kinds of literature before I go into the units and speak to the men. I go cell to cell sharing the gospel, and I always leave behind some real powerful gospel messages for them to read. They're in their cells 23 hours a day. They have plenty of time to read, and God has used these uh, messages. I use uh, the old-time preachers, uh, R.A. Torrey, Charles Spurgeon, uh, D.L. Moody, uh, Billy Graham, and uh, these are powerful messages, and I've seen God uh, use them to bring men to Christ. And while I'm on that subject, I do have in my pocket here something a little unique. Um, the chaplain gave me these uh, little Billy Graham uh, Hour of Decision uh, little pamphlets that Billy Graham had his Hour Decision radio program, and when someone would call in, he would uh, mail these to him. And I have hundreds of these sitting out on a table there, uh, just outside the room where the Bible study was this morning. And each one has a different topic, and my purpose for bringing these, these are like 50 years old. The chaplain had them in his barn in a sealed box for all these years. And so this is a pretty unique thing to have. But my purpose of handing them out is because I've been hauling them around in my car for eight years now, and I need to do something with them. And so I'd like to see you uh, think of someone today as you're sitting here who needs the Lord and go out there after the service and find a topic that you think would best fit that person. Take one, take as many as you want, and hand them out. This particular one is, what is the gospel? Um, I just grabbed three of them. There's a great day coming, and then this is a little weird, but it's a God and golf. So if you know a golfer, that would probably be a good one. And so uh, today, um, I'm not going to preach to you. I'm going to leave the preaching to the preachers. Uh, God hasn't gifted me to preach. He's, uh, I believe, gifted me to share the gospel one-on-one -on -one, uh, with individuals. And uh, so what I'm going to do is, is just uh, speak to you today. I'm going to share my own personal testimony. I've been to this church seven times, I believe, and some of you know me. Uh, but you don't know my testimony and how I came to know the Lord and how I started in the prison ministry. And then uh, also I'm going to share with you, I brought 18 different testimonies of inmates today. I doubt I'll get through four or five of them. Pastor Russ did uh, whisper something into my ear today uh, when the music was playing here right at the end. And I think he said I could speak till 3.15. I'm not sure. I didn't quit quite hear him. So we'll, we'll just have to see how that goes. 4.15, he said. Okay, there we go. All right, but as I share these uh, testimonies, there's a Bible verse I want us to keep into the back of our mind, and that is a very well-known one. It's uh, Romans 1.16. The Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes 
And man, I've seen that lived out in the prison so many times, uh, live in people's lives. It's the power of God. If I go to a man and talk to him and I leave all my theology and all my fancy talking and all that stuff out of it, and I just lay the gospel out to him, very simple. God uses it. He drives it home in a man's heart. And I think I like the way Billy Graham put it the most. Repentance and faith, they are not a work that you go out and do to try to measure up to God. They're a decision you make in your heart the moment you believe the gospel. And I've seen that so many times. And that almost brings me to tears when I say that. So I want us to keep that in the back of our minds as I share these messages. But first of all, I'll tell you just a little bit about prison. I'm not going to spend much time doing that. Um, there's nine prisons in Iowa. Right now, there's about 8,500 people incarcerated. 600 of them are women. The rest are men. Uh, we primarily do all of our work at Oakdale Prison in Coralville, Iowa. Right now, there's 985 inmates there. 700 of them are in reception. Oakdale is a reception center. So if you're going to come into the prison in Iowa, you're first going to come to the prison that we work at. You're going to be there for 30 to 45 days. You're going to be in a two-man cell, locked down 23 hours a day. And uh, you're going to go through testing and educational testing, blood tests, all kinds of things. And you're going to have a caseworker that's going to look at the crime you committed and the results of all these other tests and things. And they're going to determine what prison you're going to go to to uh, serve out your time. And so while they're just sitting there in a cell for 23 hours a day, they get one hour yard time. Uh, we are allowed to go anywhere into the prison and go cell to cell sharing the gospel with them. And every cell's different. We have every kind of religion you can think of. I talked to a Satanist just the other day, and it's, you never know what you're going to face when you come to a cell. Um, but the thing is, is that um, I just want, I, I really have a lot of confidence in the literature that I leave behind after I talk to them. And many times God uses that to have them send a note to me and say, hey, come back and talk to me more about this. And so uh, that's a, a key thing in the ministry. But there's about 700 men in lockdown. There's 285 of them in what we call GP because somebody's got to cook for them. Somebody's got to do their laundry. And so you need people that remain at the prison. For the GP people, we have Bible studies, worship services. We have all kinds of ministries for them to be involved in. But our primary focus is in the, the men, the, the 700 men that are locked down. And we get, on the average, about 350 new inmates every month in the state of Iowa come into Oakdale. Now, most of them, this is my own personal opinion, just talking to every man that comes in there, is that the majority of the men, and I'd have to say 60%, if not more, are in prison because of meth. And many of you might not know that, but meth is the biggest problem, drug problem in the state of Iowa. They may be in there for burglary or for robbery or for theft, uh, but meth was behind the whole thing. And it is on every corner in every little city in Iowa. It's in Pocahontas. It's in Palmer. It's everywhere. And it's a huge problem. It can be, you know, I had an inmate tell me just a couple of weeks ago that you can go to Walmart and spend 26 bucks 
on the um, uh, things you need to cook meth and, and cook 500 bucks worth of meth for 26 bucks. So uh, it's being cooked in garages and everything. So, you know, the more majority of these guys have ripped their families off. Um, they have burned all the bridges they have. They don't have anybody left in their life. And they uh, keep coming back to prison until God gets a hold of their life. They're the black sheep of the family. Um, but you know what? God loves black sheep. And uh, if you're breathing today, which I'm guessing you are, and you have a heartbeat, you're a black sheep in God's eyes too because we've all rebelled against God. We've all lived with our back turned to him. And God loves bringing black sheep to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and transforming their lives. And that leads me into my story. You see, I was a drunk most of my life. For 28 years, I was an alcoholic. I started drinking when I was 16 years old. And uh, I, uh, by the time I was in uh, high, uh, senior year in high school, I used to get together with some friends of mine, and we'd get drunk before we went to school. I don't even know how I graduated, but I did. And afterwards, I, I went to California all by myself. I worked for a company that transferred me out there, and uh, alcohol went with me. It was a big part of my life. I traveled all over California, opening these stores up, and I think I lived in a total of nine cities. I was out there 14 years. My wife grew up in Connecticut. Uh, I moved to San Diego at one point during that time. She moved to San Diego with her parents, and through mutual friends, we ended up meeting, and uh, we were married in 83, and she was a drunk, too, and uh, I wouldn't have married her if she wasn't. And, uh, you know, and alcohol and marriage don't work too well together, and so we had a rocky marriage for about 18 years. Uh, through all that, I won't go through my whole story, I ended up back in Iowa, and my wife has reminded me of that almost every day. If moving from San Diego to Iowa is a big deal. And so, uh, anyway, one day in 2000, uh, it was December, Christmas 2000, my mother invited me to a, a Christmas service, and I hadn't been to church in 35 years. And I said, okay, I'll go. And I went, and I, there was something peaceful. I remember that day uh, when I came into the ch church, and I sat down. Uh, I looked around, and there was just a peace about it all. And I knew that that's what I needed. I needed God in my life. I, I was age 43 years old at that time. And I was living like a wild animal all that time. And I needed God. I just knew that. And so I nothing happened that day other than that thought. And then I believe God started going to work in my heart after that. It was only a couple weeks later that I went to a friend's sister's funeral. Now, I didn't know his sister, but I went there out of respect for him. And I got there late, and I sat in the very back pew. Everybody else was up front. And this preacher guy stood up um, with a suit on, and he read, started reading Psalm 23. And I was sitting back there as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And these words just started, God just started pounding them into my heart. And I actually started crying. And I remember uh, the emotions and the thoughts I had at that moment that I want God so bad. 
I'm tired of all this. I, I need God. And uh, I left there. I got out before the funeral ended because I didn't want to see anybody seeing me cry. But uh, fast forward, uh, one day I was sitting on my couch uh, by myself with my usual hangover. And uh, my wife was at work, and I saw a Bible sitting there. And I thought, whoa, where'd that come from? Um, and I thought, man, I've never read the Bible before in my life. I wonder what's in that thing. So I picked it up, and I opened it up, and I just opened it to the beginning, and I started reading how God created us, and I thought, man, that's pretty fascinating. And so I uh, uh, remembered when I lived in the big cities that um, I would uh, read, see people hold up signs that said John 3.16 at football games, and I thought, man, I wonder what that says maybe it says something about football that's how stupid i was and so i found the book of john and i opened it up and i just said well i'll just read it from the beginning and so i started reading the book of john and god's just started convicting me of my sins and i don't even know if i made it to john 3 16 uh, but I, within a half hour of, of just reading the book of john I came to realize this thought came into my mind. I never had this thought before my whole life. I thought, you know, I've been living with my back turned to God my whole life, and I'm on my way to hell, and this is real. And uh, if I go to hell, the door is going to be slammed shut, and it's going to be locked, and there isn't going to be any way out. And that really convicted me at that moment. And then I knew. I knew at that moment there had to be a decision made, and there may be some of you out here today that were where I was then, and you need to make a decision for Christ today. And so I knew that I either had to close this Bible and go on with my life or get on my knees and give my life to Christ. And somehow I knew, and I didn't know anything about this stuff. I never heard of the Holy Spirit. I never heard of the virgin birth. I didn't know nothing. I just knew that coming to Christ, though, was stepping both feet over the line and coming out openly and confessing him as my Lord and Savior. It carries a surrender of repentance and faith, and I knew that. And I knew that there's no such thing as a closet Christian. A closet Christian's a phony, all right? And so I knew I had to make a decision, and I didn't want to because I knew that if I did, all my drunk friends are going to leave. They're not going to hang around some Jesus freak. And then I also knew that my wife may come home and say, we've been married 18 years. She may say, hey, man, I didn't sign up for this Jesus thing. I'm out of here. And so I thought she would probably leave. And so I counted up the cost. Salvation's a free gift, but it's going to cost every one of you something in your life. And uh, you know what? I made the right decision. I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm done. I'm done. I give my life to you today. Forgive me. Come into my heart. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to confess you before other men as my Lord and Savior. And I stood up. And I didn't feel a bolt of lightning. I didn't feel anything. But I just knew that my, I meant business with Jesus Christ when I was on my knees right then and there. And it was almost immediately he convicted me. And said, get everything out of your house that's unclean. And uh, I thought, well, my, I just bought 750 bucks worth of booze and a brand new keg. 
All right. So I ran downstairs as fast as I could. I couldn't get that stuff packed up fast enough, hauled it all out into the garage. And then I, I thought, well, I might have some books or magazines or some music or something in here that Jesus wouldn't read or listen to. I got to get that out of here, too. So I packed all that up. I ran around my house. I cleaned house, hauled everything out in the garage. Uh, then I sat down, just started, I just couldn't get enough of the Word of God. I sat down, kept reading the book of John, and then all of a sudden, I heard the garage door open. I thought, oh man, my wife's home, what's going to happen now? <laughs> she walks in, she sees me sitting at the table reading the Bible. She's never seen that before in her life. And then uh, she looks at me and she says, what is all that booze and everything doing out in the garage? I said, it's going to the dump. And she goes, what are you, crazy? I said, no, i born again. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when you were at work today. She goes, you're nuts. And, I, and she hated it. It was horrible. It was horrible. When I'd be reading the Bible or watching preachers on TV, she'd walk by and go, Phew. and that went on for about a year. And then uh, I came to her, and I said, uh, you know, every year you decide where we go for vacation. Can I choose this year where we go? She said, okay, go ahead. And I said, you promise? She said, yeah, she promised. I said, great. We're going to the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove, and we're going to go through a three-day work Bible workshop. No! I said, you promised. And so that's where we went. And we got there, and she thought, well, I'll just sit on the back porch of this place in the Blue Ridge Mountains, watch the birds, the deer, and the turkeys, and all that stuff while he does his thing. What? Well, that is now at work. They made the women and the men split up into workshop groups, and then we had to get together for seminars at the end uh, of each day, and that went on for three days, and she hated every second of it. She couldn't wait to leave. Uh, but Larry paid an extra hundred bucks before we went on the trip for a morning devotional uh, to stay for a mor morning breakfast devotional. And Billy Graham's cousin, Ed Graham, was given the devotional, and it was on the parable of the mustard seed. And there was about ten couples there, and we're sitting there eating, listening to Ed Graham give it his devotional. And my wife leans over, and she says, I feel this tugging on my heart. I don't think I'm right with God. And I'm thinking, man, I could have told you that. <laughs> and I says, I says look, I, I never met a Graham yet that doesn't give an invitation when they're done speaking. So he's going to tell you to come forward and commit your life to Jesus Christ. And so you do that. And at the end of that parable, she went forward. She got on her knees with Billy Graham's cousin, Ed Graham, and and made a surrender of her life to Christ. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do that today, too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm going to tell you a few stories about some inmates. Um, man, I'm, I'm going to try to fly through a few of these real quick. But uh, this particular inmate story, his name's Glenn. And... Uh, 
He reminds me of a Bible verse I want to just tell you about a story real quick. You know all the story about Philip, and he was up in Samaria, and they were having a great revival. He had to go get Peter and John, come up and give him some help. People were getting converted. Demons were getting cast out, uh, all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit saw this one Ethiopian eunuch down in Gaza in the wilderness that was trying to figure out who the scripture of Isaiah 53, and he sent Philip down there, and Philip came up to chariot, and he got in it, and uh, the eunuch said, I ask you, of uh, whom does the prophet say this of, himself or another man? And Philip opened his mouth, and he began the scriptures. He preached Jesus. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and they were baptized. One day I went into the hole, that's the disciplinary unit. Uh, it was in September of this year. There was a young man there. I came to his cell. He had a big afro kind of brown, uh, red hair, and uh, he was a white man. He had his shirt off, and he's sitting there leaning, uh, sitting on the side of his bunk, and he was eating out of the tray. They had just served dinner about 10 minutes earlier, and he looked at me kind of startled, and I looked at him, and, and he started getting up. I said, no, man, don't get up. Just finish your food. I'll go to the other cells. I'll come back, and we can talk then. No, no, I'm done. He set it down. And he went over and he picked up this Bible track. In fact, I got one with me right here. It says, How to Know God. And he picked that up and he brought it to the window and he said, Look what I have. I've read this, but I don't understand it. Uh, I said, Man, I got those about a year ago. Where'd you get that? I, I haven't had those for a long time. He said, Well, the book cart that they push by, you can reach through this porthole and get books when you're locked down. Uh, this was just sticking out of a book, so I grabbed it, and I read it, but I really don't understand it. And then he went over, and he got this devotional brought up and showed it, and he says, uh, it's a Stillwater devotional. He says, I've got this, and I've been reading it, but I don't really get this either. And then I said, well, do you have a Bible in there? He said, yeah, I took a Bible off the cart, but it's beat up and a lot of pages missing and everything. I can't really understand it. And I said, Glenn, you know, man, you seem kind of thirsty for God to me. And he says, I am. He says, you're not going to believe this. He said, for three days now, I've been praying that somebody would come and explain this stuff to me. And I looked up, and there you were. And I said, well, I came to explain it to you. All right. And so I went through the gospel with him, A to Z. And as most people's issues are, they think that you're saved by following the Ten Commandments. So I drove home the fact that the commandments were given to us to reveal to us our, that we're our sinners and to lead us to Christ where we can be saved. And that Jesus, only two feet ever walked this earth that never broke one commandment, never had a sinful thought, never had lust or greed in his heart. He fulfilled the law of God in your place and my place for us. He produced as a man the righteousness that God requires of us that we have miserably failed to do ourselves. And then he went to the cross, Glenn, and he died for your sins. God laid them all on him, and he paid the penalty of death for you 
in your place. And he was raised from the dead. And now, Glenn, if you'll turn towards God in repentance and put your faith in him, uh, that death of Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago will be applied to your soul, and every one of your sins will be forgiven. And his righteousness, that perfect walk he did, will be credited to your life, and you, your standing before God from that day forward, will be a complete innocence as if you've never sinned your whole life. And it's a free gift. Glenn, repent and believe it. And you know, he just started shaking his head and smiling. He goes, I can't believe this. No one's ever told me that my whole life. And I really honestly believe, uh, because of the talks I had with him afterwards, I believe he was born again that very moment that he believed that in his heart while I was speaking to him through the door. Now, I don't know that. God does. But I believe he was. The Bible says that, uh, you know, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were sealed in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what happened to him. I said, Glenn, I'm going to run back to the chapel. I'm going to get you a nice Bible. I'm going to get you some powerful uh, Spurgeon literature that will explain to you justification by faith, what I just went over with you. And you can read that in your cell. And uh, so I went and I did that, and I came back, and I gave it to him. And I remember when I was leaving the unit, I looked back at his cell, and he's just standing there shaking his head. And I can't believe God answered these prayers. He's been praying three days for this. And I met with him uh, many times after that. And uh, he just left the prison about a week ago to Mount Pleasant. That's where he'll serve his time out. The last thing he told me was, Larry... Uh, I'm going to ask my mom to come to the church that you're speaking at this weekend. She lives about two miles away. So if Glenn's mom's here today, I'd love to speak to you out there in the lobby afterwards. And so um, I thank God for what he did in Glenn's life. I'm going to tell you just a couple more stories. I won't keep you here all day. This guy here's name uh, Montgomery. And I went into the yard one day, and it was in June, and it was hot out. And this uh, guy walked up to me. He had sunglasses on. He looked Hispanic to me. And uh, he came up, and he said, hey, uh, are you, you a preacher? And I said, well, I've been called worse. I says, uh, he says, I'd like to. Uh, uh, I have a ton of questions. I'm kind of new at all this. I'd like to talk to you, set up a time or something. I said, sure, no problem. Uh, let's just go in right now. And, and he said, okay. So we went in there, and he sat at a table, and he said, hey, I got to get my notebook. He went and got a notebook, and he had a ton of notes on it. And he took his sunglasses off, and I realized this guy is a Native American Indian. Man, he looked like he's just out of a John Wayne movie. And I thought, you know, that gave me an idea of his spiritual background. But he began to tell me his story, and it's really interesting how God worked in this guy's life. He was in Polk County Jail two months before he came to Oakdale, and uh, he was, uh, his wife found the Lord while he was in jail. And as she vis started visiting him, she said, you got to find Jesus. And one day he was sitting in the pod in, his, uh, in uh, the jail, uh, and they a lot of times had a Christian station on, he said. And he was sitting there with another inmate, and he said, my wife said I need to find Jesus. Uh, do you know how I find him? And the other inmate says, not really. He says, uh, maybe sing a song to him or something. And he goes, okay, well, what song should I sing? He goes, I don't know. Sing maybe one of them church songs or something. Well, I don't know any church songs, do you? I heard this amazing grace one, one, one time, but I don't know the words to it. And Montgomery said less than one minute later, 
the words to Amazing Grace started scrolling across the screen on that TV and it's, uh, with the music, and they both sat there and sang Amazing Grace. <laughs> and then so he went and got a Bible, and he started reading it at the beginning. He came to a Genesis chapter 27 and about Esau and Jacob, and he just didn't understand. I don't understand this, God. What's this all about? Five minutes later, Robert Morris, the preacher, came on the TV, and that's exactly what he was preaching on. And he explained, he goes, oh, now I understand it. I get it. And so a multitude of other things took place to the point where he said, I'm giving my life to Jesus, man. And so he called his wife, and he said, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I think he died for my sins, but I want you to be present when I do that. And so she goes, well, it's too late. I can't get there in time. Visiting hours will be over. And you go to court tomorrow morning. And he said, okay, be there in court. I'm going to give my life to Christ in front of the judge and everybody else, man. And so she showed up. You know, the Bible says, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father and his holy angels. He stood up and the judge says, you got anything you want to say? And he said, yeah, I'm in front of my wife, in front of you, in front of my Lord, in front of everybody here. Today, I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The judge said, good enough. Bam, 10 years. Sent him to prison. All right? <laughs> this is a, a real cute and kind of funny thing here. Uh, I visited him every uh, Every other day for about a month while I was there, he had notebooks full of uh, questions as I gave him reading assignments in the Bible. And uh, he was just a wonderful guy to work with. But here's his last question he had before he left prison. He said, Larry, uh, one of the bunkies that left uh, told me I need to find a King James. And so I read 1 Kings, I read 2 Kings, and I read the book of James. And I can't find this King James guy. Can you tell me where to find him at? So, of course, I had to explain to him that was a version of the Bible. But he was a baby in Christ, you know, and you can't feed them milk. you got to feed them, feed them water. I've got, if I can lay two more stories out, I know it's getting late, but I'd love to. You know, a lot of, uh, I witnessed to a Muslim one time. Um, I see them all the time in there. There's people of every religion. Uh, a lot of people think, well, you have to uh, study Islam or something in order to witness to a Muslim. No, <laughs> man. When the FBI studies for counterfeit money. They don't study counterfeit money. They study the real deal so they know the counterfeit when they see it. And so we don't study other religions. We stay in the Word of God, man, and we get to know Christ. And the gospel's a simple message, and if we keep it that way, people will be saved. It doesn't matter what religion they are. Came to this guy's cell. I said, hey, I'd like to leave you something to read about uh, the Lord and uh, how you can be certain you're going to make it to heaven. And he said, well, I'm a Muslim. And I said, well, I'm a bohemian. I said, so, uh, but I love reading this stuff. I think you will, too. Can I leave you one? He goes, sure. All right. So I left it to him. And uh, that went on for about three weeks. I gave him a different powerful message every time. And then all of a sudden, I got a kite, they call it. It's a message that an inmate sends to the chapel wanting you to come and talk to him. And so it said, Larry, come see me. So I went, and I got him out of his cell. And he says, you know, I've been reading that stuff. You've been leaving me. I got a Bible off the shelf. I've been reading that. I don't understand it. I don't understand all this. All I know is I can't find nothing in Islam anymore. There's nothing there. I don't have any peace in my life. And this stuff is starting to make sense. Can you tell me more? And so I spent uh, another 
two weeks meeting with him every other day, and he giving him reading assignments in the Bible, giving him more powerful uh, messages and uh, to read. And then uh, through that time, one day I got him out, and it just seemed something different about him. And he said, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior last night. And I said, that's wonderful, Kevin. And uh, I uh, got to meet with him only one more time after that, and he tripped out to Anamosa. And that was uh, in January of this year. But since then, uh, two inmates I know have come back from Anamosa to uh, Oakdale, and they told me they know him, and he's reading the Bible, he's going to Bible studies, going to worship services. And so I'm thankful. I think the Lord really uh, used the literature and his word to really get a hold of that guy's life. I'm going to end with one last story. Uh, this guy's name was Jared. He was from Oklahoma. He just left the prison about a month ago to go to his next camp. I walked into the unit one day. Uh, he walked up to me. He's probably about that tall, slender guy, five o'clock shadow, one eye's half cocked, and he's got a strong southern draw to him. And he says, I need my sins forgiven. I said, well, let's sit and talk. And so uh, I spent a lot of time with him because he really couldn't read very well at all. He, tried, he wasn't stupid at all. In fact, he uh, lived, grew up in Oklahoma, and he met some girl online here in Iowa, moved up here. Everyone warned him, don't do it, you're crazy. And he moved up here, and he uh, actually became pretty successful. He started some uh, custom combine uh, business. You all know what that is. I don't have a clue. And he did very well with that. And then uh, he started a mechanic, a diesel mechanic um, business. He had four employees and he made a lot of money. Uh, the problem is his wife liked the money more than she did him. And so she filed a false charge against him, he says. It sent him to jail. And while he was in jail, she sold all his stuff and ran off with some other guy. And he ended up having to come to prison. And he just wanted to know the Lord, but he couldn't read very well at all. And so I, it was hard to, I'd go by his cell and he'd just, he, I'd read with him and he just couldn't. It'd take him a half hour to read Psalm 23, put it that way, all right? But he had a young Sally in there with him. He's probably about 23 years old. His name was Kyler. And Kyler would always laugh at me when I'd come and talk about the Lord to Jared. And he'd make fun of me. And so one day I said, Jared, you know, you're not stupid at all. You're a very smart man. You just have a difficult time reading. Uh, but I need to start feeding you some more meat. You know, we're sitting here on milk here now. It's time to move on. And so I started giving him some powerful messages. They're about six, seven pages long. And I knew he can't read them. I said, so here's the deal, man. Have your, uh, throw your celly uh, Kyle or some food or something and have him read them to you. And so he did. And so Kyler started reading these powerful sermons and messages to Jared. And I can't tell you, three times I think I went by their cell and I'd see Jared sitting there on his bunk listening to Kyler as Kyler sat there reading these powerful gospel messages. And through that, Kyler gave his life to the Lord. <laughs> and so they both left. <laughs> it's amazing how God works. And so they both left Oakdale Prison with a Bible and the Lord in their heart, all right? I'm going to end with that story. I brought 18 stories I was going to tell today, uh, but I'm not going to be here till 4.15. And so, uh, look, you know, you heard some stories. You heard my story. 
And maybe God spoke to your heart like perhaps he did with my wife that day where she felt a little tugging on her heart. And she knew she wasn't right with God. And she needed to be. And today's the day for you to get right with God. Don't wait. Don't wait. I've never met anybody who was sorry they gave their life to Jesus Christ. It's a simple thing. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up at this time and close with a song. And uh, as they're closing with this song, I'm going to ask you to, to not resist the Spirit of God on your heart and to come forward today. Just come forward. And come down here, and I'm just going to ask you to sit right here in this front pew, right over here. And I'm going to have a word with you, and I'm going to pray with you. And by doing that, you're telling Jesus Christ that you're ready. You're ready to receive him as your Lord and Savior and give your life to him. Thank you. Thank you.